Again, since some are watching just by video, I'd like to welcome uh, those watching at New Lisbon Correctional Institution. Thank you so much for being with us and being part of Crossview Church this morning. As uh, many of you know, uh, I love history, especially church history. I love to look at how Christians through the ages dealt with things and how they um, took on life and how they tried to, to walk out their faith in the midst of difficulties and joys of life. And two figures in particular grabbed my attention the last few weeks. Uh, one is a man named John Wesley, and another is a man named George Whitfield. And John Wesley and George Whitfield were um, preachers in the mid-1700s. They would go into different places, a lot of times on horseback. They would preach three to four times a day, sometimes to crowds of 20,000 or more without any kind of mic or technological advancement. And they would go and they would move in these places. They're part of what was called the Great Awakening because they saw many, many people come to Christ through what they did, uh, both in England as well as in the colonies here in the United States. And John Wesley and George Whitfield were, uh, they kind of came to faith together at the same time. They, they were in a lot of Bible studies together. And when it came to the, the basics of the Christian faith, when it came to the, the things that mark what Christianity is, they were in lockstep agreement with one another. But there were some finer points of theology they had disagreement with. Maybe like finer things we see in the Bible, we see the things that we know are true, that are, are black and white. We see them, and then we see these finer points of theology. And in those finer points, they had disagreement. There was one time they were in the same city together, which was kind of rare because they tried to share the wealth, so to speak, and be uh, spread out. But they're in the same city together, and a newspaper reporter came to George Whitfield. And he said to him, Mr. Whitfield, I know that you and Mr. Wesley are friends. However, you guys seem to disagree a lot on these finer points of Christian doctrine. And he said, yes, that's true. And he said, so you would say you definitely disagree on these finer points. And he said, yes, I do. Uh, we definitely disagree on that. They said, so let me ask you a question, Mr. Whitfield. Will John Wesley be in heaven when he dies? And George Whitfield said, no. Well, he, no, I'm sorry. He said, will you see John Wesley in heaven when he dies? And he said, no, I won't see John Wesley in heaven. And the, everyone kind of was in gasping. They couldn't believe he made such a statement. And George Whitfield said, I won't see John Wesley in heaven because he's going to be so much closer to the throne of Jesus Christ than I am, that I won't even be able to see him. That's how brothers in Christ disagree. That's how brothers and sisters in Christ should always disagree. That's how we can stay unified and still disagree. That's love coming forward. And the reason John Wesley and George Whitfield could live that way while in disagreement is because their view of Jesus was so great, it impacted how they viewed everything else. Their view of Jesus was so high, it impacted how they viewed everything else. His rule, his reign, who he was as king impacted everything in their life. So whatever they experienced in this life, went through the lens of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus said it's like this, that's how they did it. They lived their life. They didn't let the things of this world pull them out of their view of Jesus. And today, 
we're going to see the Apostle Paul in this book called the Colossians is writing to a church where he wanted the people in that church to have that same high view of Jesus. And so what he did, a lot of Bible scholars believe, he took a hymn from the early church days and placed it in this letter to the Colossian church to magnify their view of Jesus, to lift high who he is. And we're going to look at that today. We're in a series called Our King, where we're studying the book of Colossians. And in this passage today, we see Jesus lifted high. And as he is lifted high, he supersedes. His rule, his reign, his lordship supersedes all other things. And we fall, our whole life falls into his hands. And in that place, we truly come alive. In that place, we truly come alive. Jesus is Lord is what we're going to look at this morning. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to focus on verses 15 to 23. And in this passage, we're going to see how Jesus is Lord. You can check it out on the Church Center app. Uh, We're having a few little glitches with our app. If you click on uh, the sermon notes in the Church Center app, it'll take you right to our website. We know that that's happening. uh, But even on the website, it takes you to it lists everything you're going to need for the sermon. So it's all good. We're working on it. But uh, be assured, you can still follow along. So follow along our church app, or if you have a regular Bible, Colossians is in the New Testament towards the back, just after Philippians. And we're going to be focusing on chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. This is the song. This was a church hymn that was sung in the early church. It says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Do you realize you were created for Jesus? He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. All the fullness of God dwells in the person of Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In this passage, we're going to see four aspects of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Four aspects of Jesus' lordship. So let's dive in. The first one we're going to see is that he's lord over eternity. He is lord over eternity. Verse 15 said he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then in 17 says he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Paul's establishing right in the front that Jesus is God and that he existed before time in relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit was God the Son. And they never ever had a beginning. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but they never had a beginning. They always existed. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we are human. We are finite. That is the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit is infinite. God is infinite. We will not be able to wrap our minds completely around him. If, it w- if we could, he wouldn't be God. So there's going to be some mystery that we have to deal with because we are finite human beings and God is infinite. We could not see God 
on our own. So God sent his son, Jesus, to come in the form of a human being. And through his son, we see God's love, God's power, God's character, God's will, God's desires, and his emotion. Jesus said, if you see me, you have seen God the Father. In verse 15, the word image is used. He is the image of the invisible God. And and some may think that means, okay, so he's less than God. He's just the image. No, no, no. The opposite is true. That word image actually means that he is equal to God the Father. And so the only way that we know God is through focusing our lives and our attention on the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 tells us that Christ is before all things. What does that mean? Think about that. Before planets, before earth, before stars, before energy, before time, before space, as far back as you can go, even before that, Jesus was. There was never, ever a time God didn't exist. Isn't that good to know? There was never, ever a time where God did not exist. No one else can say that. He is supreme above all. So not only is he Lord over eternity, he's also, number two, Lord over creation. Verse 15 said he is firstborn over all creation. Now that term can be very confusing because when we use the word firstborn, we're typically saying the eldest child in a family, right? But that's not what this is referring to here. He's not saying that he was the first one ever created because he wasn't. Jewish literature has two meanings for that word firstborn. The first meaning is how we would use it, like the eldest child in a family, the firstborn. But the second meaning is really interesting. The second meaning in Jewish literature is used to indicate the chief heir in the inheritance of the father is known as the firstborn. The chief heir in the inheritance of the father. And Jesus Christ is the supreme one out of all who existed. He is the chief heir He is the one who is supreme over all creation, not that he's first creature with creation, but that he stands supreme in all creation. And since Jesus is the creator, it makes total sense that everything finds their meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. Every one of us find our meaning and our purpose in Jesus Christ. If you are apart from Christ, life is not how it was intended to be. When you are in Christ and you're living in him and you're rooted in him and you're growing in him, then you get, to, you get to experience life as God intended it to be because then you're living how the creator created you. You're living out that purpose that he created. Everything finds their purpose and meaning in Christ. And when we are not in him, we are less than what he intended. And he feels that. He feels that. For my daily quiet times right now, I'm going through the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he gives all these illustrations of God and the people of God, God and the church. And so many times when we look at it and we think about it, we see God is the master, the church is a servant. We see a master-servant relationship, and there's a piece of that that is true. But when you look at the Old Testament, especially the book of Jeremiah, do you know what analogy is used? Not master-servant, but the analogy is used of a marriage, of a husband and a wife. 
that God is the husband and the church is his bride. There is wife. And Jeremiah talks about when the bride leaves the marriage covenant and goes off to get all these other gods. And it, and it very clearly says in Jeremiah that the, the church went to all these adulterous places. It left the marriage. It broke the heart of God. God feels it when his creation blows him off. God feels it in more of an intense way than we are. We are finite, like I said, so we have emotions. God has emotions where the Bible says he feels them all the time. He's infinite. His emotions he feels daily, and they're more intense than we could ever imagine. That is who he is. And he feels it when his people stray from him. And the analogy that's used in the Bible is one of a person in a marriage covenant that would leave and commit adultery. And the brokenness and the pain and the heartache is what God feels when his people leave him. They don't live under his rule and in relationship with who he is. You see, that's why it's so critical that we live out our faith when we live, leave this place. When we go to our jobs, when we go to our homes, when we post on Facebook, it's critical that we live out our faith there, that there's not a, a, a church person in our life and then a real person in our life that those two come together as one, that we live out our faith. And when we come in here and worship, it's a reflection of who we really are. And when we leave, that's who we are. We live out our faith as followers of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important we stay unified and we don't let things like masks and all these other things divide us because we have to live out the faith. If we fight out there and then come in here and just pretend it's not good enough because God sees the heart. You know, the Jewish people did that. They, they came in to worship and they would sing songs and they would do their rituals and their practices to worship God. And then they left and they would act like different people. They didn't act like the people of God. And you know what God said? It's pretty harsh. It's listed in the book of Amos, chapter 523. He said to that church that did that, he said, take away from me the noise of your songs. He said, I don't even want to hear you come into this place and sing. If you're going to be dualistic like that, if you're going to be one way in church and another way out there, don't even bother coming to sing. That's why we're talking last week. If we get this idea that we're going to fight and divide over these things, it's better we stop and don't do anything at all. Because God says, I want my people following me. I want my people unified. We don't want to live in the place that breaks the heart of God. That's not who we're meant to be. We want to live out the life and the love and the character of God. And we have an amazing opportunity to display who God is to the world. And do you know why this is so important? Because of number three, that he is Lord over the church. He is Lord over the church. Look at verse 18. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. He, he is Lord over the church. Before, when he's, he's talking about Lord over eternity, Lord over creation, those are macro. Now he's getting tangible, and he's saying he is Lord over the church. He transferred us into his kingdom, and in doing so, created the church. He saw us spiritually dead. It wasn't like we had a little bit of life. We were spiritually dead. We were drowning, and it wasn't like we were fighting to get to the life preserver. We were sinking, and he reached down spiritually and grabbed us, pulled us out and take what was dead and brought it to life, and in doing so, transferred us from the dominion of darkness to the power in the kingdom of God. That's what he did. 
said he's firstborn among the dead. Again, it's not saying that Jesus was the first one to be raised from the dead. He wasn't. He was using that supreme order term. Out of all those who have been raised from the dead, Jesus is the most supreme because when he rose from the dead, he created the church and he was doing something that would save the church and all those who put their trust in him, all those who surrender their life to Jesus Christ are now born again and they're a new creation and they're made new and and the, they're brought into this amazing thing called God's bride, the church. The church isn't a social club. The church isn't something that we just do. This church is something we are because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and what he did for us. God enters our hearts. When we give our life to Jesus, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, enters in and makes us new. We are now brought into unity with him, the living God. It's an amazing thing. And finally, he is Lord over all creation. Lord over all creation. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased, God the Father pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through Jesus reconcile everything to himself. God's plan is to bring through Jesus Christ into reconciliation of relationship with him everything that we know people earth dominions powers politics all this stuff at one point when jesus comes again and establishes his king and his lordship and completes this kingdom of god mentality that began at the cross is going to be completed when he comes again and when he comes again he's going to make all the injustices just. He's going to right all these wrongs. Every single thing, kingdom, people, power, is going to be subject under his rule, and he's going to reconcile all things so heaven and earth is going to look totally different. Everything is going to be subject to the rule of God, and peace and love and justice will reign once and for all, and it will happen. You see, we live in crazy times, and it's hard for us to even imagine all the things going on, but we have to remember Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still Lord over all. And when we see all this stuff happen, it's easy to think, where is God in all this? But we have to remember the movie isn't over yet. We're kind of in the middle. But at the end, when it all comes to, God's going to reconcile all things under him. He's going to bring all things to himself. That's the whole idea He will rule over all. And when he rules over all, as he's in position to right now, that means he is Lord over everything. Lord over everything in our lives, Lord over our families, our marriages, our friends, our church, our job, our emotions, our mind, our thoughts, our conversations, our past, our pains, our eating, our drinking, what we watch, what we listen to. He wants all those things submitted to his lordship. And when we do that, that's where we find true life. When we lean into the lordship of Jesus Christ and place all of ourselves under him, if we learn to do that and we lean into his lordship and we submit to him and allow him to be lord over our lives as he truly deserves, that's when new life begins. Is there anything more freeing is there anything more thrilling? Is there anything more strengthening than the truth that the ruler of all is your refuge, 
and is by your side all day, every day, in the ordinary things of life and in the painful, extraordinary things of life, in the good experiences and the bad, this one who's the ruler of the universe has promised to be your refuge, to never leave you or forsake you. Lean into that. It's so worth giving yourself to him. It's so worth giving all those things to him. Some people keep Jesus at a distance. Why would we do that? Because when we put him in his proper place in the throne of our hearts, and he sits on the throne, what on earth do we have to worry about? What on earth? That doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we go through things and don't have pain. God didn't promise heaven on earth. He promised heaven in heaven. But while we're going through rough, difficult times on earth, Jesus promised to be the refuge for us. And he is so qualified to do that. The ruler of all promises to be with you in everything that you experience. Why would we keep him at a distance? Because life with Jesus as Lord is so much better than life ruled by us. But we believe this lie that we can run our lives better than Jesus. And it's just not true. Life when Jesus is ruling is so much better than life ruled by us. So what does that look like to have life ruled by Jesus? What does that even mean? What does that look like? Let's take a look at that. First of all, it means anger is replaced with love. Anger is replaced with love. There's so many that are angry right now. Now, let me qualify that. I'm not saying that it's bad to be angry. Anger is an emotion, like any emotion, and you can feel anger, that's fine. It's okay to experience anger. The Bible says be angry, but sin not. It's okay to experience anger, but here's the deal. Some people these days, they're not just camping in anger. They're like building a house and staying there and moving in forever right? You can be angry as a Christian, but you're not supposed to be marked by anger. Anger is not supposed to define who you are. Jesus said, they will know you are Christians. They will know you are followers of me by your love. And when you lean into the rule of Jesus in this area, and you say, Jesus, I'm so angry right now. Would you come into that and help me with that? That's leaning into the rule, and then you give this release, and anger gets moved and is replaced by love. The second thing that happens is division is replaced by unity. Division is replaced by unity. We're going to get through this together. God calls his church right now in this difficult time to unify, not be disunified. To come together, not take our cue from the world and start throwing stones about different views. If we do that, it's like Satan is picking up a, a bone and saying, here, church, throw it and go. And we go, oh, oh. And we go run. yeah, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you. No, 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 that's not the deal. Stay focused. When you submit to the rule of Jesus Christ and you bring yourself into him, it fosters unity amongst the family of God. You realize that your preferences aren't that big of a deal and that what is a big deal is that Jesus is exalted and that he's glorified. And when people in the community of Wisconsin Rapids see people in Crossview Church loving each other in the midst of this crazy time, they say, that's different and that's different because not those are people are so cool and great. It's different because Jesus Christ made a difference. Because Jesus Christ did something on the cross 
That's why. So division is replaced by unity. We lean into the rule of Jesus. And you know what else happens when that happens? Healing takes place. Man, does our world need healing right now or what? It will only get fake healing unless we lean into the creator of all who created all people where every person is made in the image of God. When we lean into his heart, true healing and unity comes. That's who he is. That's what happens when we place him as Lord in our hearts. The last thing that happens is worry is replaced by peace. Does anybody have anything to worry about today? I don't know about you, we come in here, this is like this hanging burden of things we're worried with. And Jesus wants us to come as his people and say, ruler of all, one who created all things, will you take, I can't get my mind off this thing. It just scares me, it troubles me. I pack it in a box and give it to you. Will you take it as ruler over all? And you lean into the rule of Jesus and he comes and he brings peace in that area. And he reminds you that he's with you. And he'll never let you go. Crossview Church, this is who we are. We are people who lift high the name of Jesus, who live in his rule. And when we do it, it's noticed in our thoughts and our behaviors. This is who we are. We live out his lordship, not in a fake way, but in a real way. And I've seen you do this time and time again. I've seen you be fosters and agents of love in our city. I've seen some of you here who were plagued by bitterness and hurt and pain, and you moved into forgiveness as you leaned into the rule and have fostered love. I've seen some of you here plagued by anxiety and worry, and then you get this picture of who Jesus really is, and you turn it over to him, and it's replaced by peace. I've seen you live this out. This is who we are. And in this moment, God is calling us to be his children and place him as king, place him as Lord, and walk out who we are. So how do we do that on a regular basis? I'm going to invite you this week to look at this verse, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and every single day, read it. Every single day, this read, read this hymn, read this song, read who Jesus is. And then ask yourself this question. Are there areas of my life that need to be surrendered to the lordship of Jesus? Some of us are hanging on to certain things where we're saying, God, I'll let you be lord over this amount, but I got to keep this one to myself. I got to control this because I still want this fun or I still want this or I still want that control. Are there areas of our life that God's calling us to give it all to him and say, I want you to be ruler. I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. I want you to take control because that's where we live. This all means that Jesus is Lord. And let's let our lives proclaim him as he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for giving us the gift of your son. Lord, I ask that the firstborn among all creation, the one who is creator, the one who's going to reconcile all things back to you, would be alive and ruling fully in our hearts and the hearts of your people around the globe. God, I pray that this would be an hour where the church by your spirit 
doesn't get independent apart from you, but we lean into you and surrender to you. And in so doing, find the way we were intended to live. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts to this whole concept. Help us to lift you up and lift you high as we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.